Right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Etymology Rules podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Salali Bay, and today uh, we are going to be talking about a topic that uh, I guess some people find a little creepy. Some people find it fascinating, um, definitely tragic. Today, we're going to be talking about cults. So this is all about cults. Um, as always, I'd like to start off by just giving you all an update. You know, we have this book that I've been working on and self-publishing for a while now, and I'm happy to report that I have a proofreader going through the last read, so um, my my aim is to have it out to uh, everybody before the end of the year, so that'll be really exciting. Um, the name of the book, once again, is Etymology Rules, Back to Basics, and it's a workbook that covers the basics of language, um, everything from phonemes and graphemes to um, morphemes, word parts, word origins, etc. So check it out on my website, etymologyrules.com, where you can purchase it for pre-order. All right. So um, as always, I want to start off by giving you an update about what I'm reading. So that's the Etymology Rules book list. Um, those who follow me on Instagram probably and Twitter probably see the posts of um, what I'm reading, but I want to go a little bit more in depth. And um, so I just finished The Fifth Element by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, it's a fantasy sci-fi novel, and she won uh, not just one Hugo Award, but three, and that's a, a, an award for sci-fi fantasy um, authors. And so uh, Octavia Butler won and N.K. Jemison won three for one of them for this book, The Fifth Element, which is the first in a series in a trilogy that's called the Broken Earth series. Um, so she won the Hugo Award for each of those books. And um, reading it, this is my first book I've ever read by N.K. Jemison, and so I can very well see why she won that award. She is a master at world building, and just a side note, if anybody's interested in writing, any writers out there, if you um, get a chance to watch her master class on world building, it's excellent. But um, she builds a world where um, she, she's touching on climate change, um, racism, the classist hierarchical system, etc. And so she builds an apocalypse she builds a world in an apocalyptic far future where a season is a period of seismic cataclysm that lasts for decades. And only the origins uh, can quell the quakes and the tremors. So um, you know these earthquakes wreak devastation on the land on the supercontinent for um, basically decades at a time, and they call that a season. Um, and like I said, the origins have the ability to stop them using what they call their sesapine. Um, so I'm going to get into this language in a minute, but that's one of the things I really like about the book is she builds a world um, linguistically as well as, you know, setting and uh, whatnot, but uh, she does so through the vocabulary. Um, 
So the origins are an enslaved class in a world that only values and identifies people based on their trade and their station in life. Um, the protagonist, who's a female, doesn't accept these conditions of the world, and she takes steps to ensure that she and her progeny do not um, have to continue living that way. Um, so like I said, what I like best is her use of language. She creates a language that speaks to the geologi geological catastrophe of the time. Um, so I'm just going to give you a couple terms. Um, she, so I mentioned to you the origins and, um, they, they, uh, there are also geomests. So a geomest is kind of like, um, a geologist. Um, and then biomestry is their form of biology. Um, but mag the, the suffix there, it's a reduced form of magistry, which refers to magic. So that's what makes it slightly different from just your typical ge geology and biology. Um, she gives the, she gives the origins different names, um, that are, different rocks so alabaster cyanite feldspar jasper um she calls the people who don't have the powers of the origin stills and um it's funny that she instead of saying like fucking like oh the fucking earth she'll say rusting um which is an it's a nice touch uh because Rust is oxidized iron, and so that means that the land is not weak and it won't hold up to strain, and that's kind of the entire um, premise. You know, these earthquakes is, are happening because Father Earth is angry. Um, I don't really need to explain that any further. Like, I feel like it's pretty evident why Father Earth would be angry with us. But um, it's a really good book, so I encourage you to read it, and I... And definitely going to read the next two in the series. Um, okay, and then a book I also recently finished was Cultish by Amanda Montel. And I'm actually going to talk about this book and reference it and as we go into the topic. Um, so, without further ado, I'm ready to go in. So, cult, you know, the modern-day use of the term cult is really subjective, um, so there are different organizations and religions that we call a cult, and it's pretty evident why. Um, there are also terms, there are also times when these terms are applied and it's less clear. Um, and so, and it's being used as a pejorative. And so that being said, how do you define a cult? What exactly is a cult? So the word cult comes from the Latin cultus, which means worship. It's related to culture and cultivated from the Latin verb colere, which means to till. Um, think about the word colony. And it comes from the Proto-Indo-European root quell, that's K-W-E-L, which means revolve, move around, sojourn, dwell. Um, and this term was used to describe sacrifices, offerings, and monuments that were built to give favor to God. Um, but now, what is a cult today? Um, how would we define it? Well, academics don't have a clear-cut definition. And in fact, they often don't use the term. 
um, because it's inherently a pejorative. It's basically used to describe groups that we don't like. Um, it's kind of like using the word brainwashing, which has been proven by scientists to, to be a pseudoscience. Um, so like there's no, there's no neurological brainwashing that takes place in the way that people understand brainwashing. Like people don't say things and then it like changes your whole neurology. But, um, when you use the term brainwash and then when you use cult, you're using it subjectively. So for an example, Amanda Montel, um, mentions that fraternity members are brainwashed or, well, do we say that they're brainwashed to haze pledges? Um, do we say that soldiers are brainwashed to kill other people or do we, well, we don't, we call that training. Um, and so, you know, by saying that people are brainwashed, that's really disregarding people's ability to make decisions. Um, and like I said, there's no neurological rewiring that occurs with brainwashing. So um, these are just terms that Amanda Montel, it was a really good book. I'm going to reference it a lot, but she says that these are terms that make us, quote, armchair psychologists that can feel morally and psychologically superior. Um, but a sociologist from the London School of Economics says that thousands of alternative groups that have or could be described as cults are actually not dangerous. Um, the term cult takes on a negative connotation because the fringe groups that commit heinous acts are the cults that become well-known. So, um, you know, what then that kind of still leads me to what then is a cult? And so... Um, Amanda Montel talks about more rather than just identifying things as cults because like I said academics don't even use that term they use um, new religions and um, the new religious movement emergent religions and marginalized religions um, so in cultish she talks about how language is used to bring followers into cults or cultish uh, organizations and entities. Um, she, of course, cites uh, things that are associated with the with our usage of cult, um, at least the idea that a cult is evil. So she references Jonestown and the People's Church. She talks about Heaven's Gate. Um, she goes into Scientology. That was really interesting. But she also talks about um, how multi-level marketing is a form of cult, a cult like Amway and Young Living and doTERRA. Um, she says that cult fitnesses can become uh, dangerous, uh, like SoulCycle, Peloton, Etc. And then lastly, she talks about Instagram influencers who can build cult-like um, followings and really how Instagram in itself is a cult. We each can be a cult leader that uh, on Instagram, like we can each start our own cult. The fact that we call them followers is kind of cultish in her view. So 
like I said, it's a really fascinating book. She's a linguist, so she approached this from um, a linguistic perspective where she looked at the kind of language that these um, cults and cultish entities use. And um, she found that all of them have the following in common. Um, well, let me take a step back. Initially, you know, there was an attempted academic definition saying that cults had a charismatic leader. They were mind-altering. Um, they There was sexual and financial exploitation, uh, created a us-versus-them mentality towards members, and the ends justify the means. Um, but, you know, uh, Explained, is if you guys have ever seen Explained, they have a cult episode, and they talked about how um, like followers of modern-day religion were can could fit into some of these categories uh, charismatic us versus them mentality and justify the means um so and it doesn't speak and then another aspect to cults is that they say it has to have like a supernatural aspect but that doesn't speak to cults like cult fitnesses and mlms multi-level marketing so that's why she uses the term cultish and she says that cultish cult leaders use rhetoric and language to draw followers and the words of the medium through which belief systems are manufactured nurtured and reinforced their fanaticism fundamentally could not exist without them without language there are no beliefs ideology or religion um and so she quotes and uh, she cites John E. Joseph, professor of applied linguistics at the University of Edinburgh, um, where he says, without language, she says, without language, there are no cults. Um, it, because as French philosopher um, Maurice Merleau-Ponty says, that language is hum human beings' element just as water is the element of fish. So... Um, Cultish language makes people feel special. Um, it conditions them to learn behavior at the desire of the cult. And lastly, it coerces people to act in a way that's contrary to their sense of self. Um, so they use the following. They use loaded language, thought terminating cl cliches or semantic stop signs. Um, gaslighting, love bombing, and uh, as I said earlier, they create an us versus them mentality. So I'm going to talk about what each one of those means, and um, in doing so, I'm going to reference some of the following cults or cultish groups. Um, the People's Church, Heaven's Gate, Scientology, um, MLMs like Amway, and different cult fitness programs and of course like I mentioned before Instagram influencers so um, let's talk about loaded language so loaded language uses uh, it refers to using insider terminology that creates a strong emotional charge and when a word or phrase takes on that baggage it can spark fear it can spark grief uh, reverence, excitement, anything, and anything that the leader wants the be, wants the followers to f 
experience. Um, sometimes they twist the meaning of existing terminology, and then other times they use misleading euphemisms. Um, so let's talk about twisting the meaning of existing terminology, referencing the people's church. Uh, now, the People's Church was founded by Jim Jones, and um, this was in 19, in 1978, you know, there was a, there was a mass suicide that took place in Jonestown, uh, which is in Guyana, and that was like the commune that he built up, but it was all, he, he built this organization, this church, off the premise that people of all races should uh, be able to coexist. He he really sold people this um, this dream from a civil rights perspective, and you know talking about how the government is so evil, and um, they would never be able to live in peace in America. So you know they start this commune over in Guyana, but things went terribly wrong. And, um, he ended up, uh, I guess, forcing everyone into a mass suicide. So, but he used language, he used language in the following manner. Um, he would call his followers, my children, and he would call anybody who's not a part of the church outside forces. He would call the government or not even the government, but just like, what people today call the deep state, he called them the hidden rulers. He said that the sky God was the enemy to Father Jones, that's him, aka God in the body. So he was God in the body, and um, the Christian God was the sky God, who's his enemy. He said accidents were things that never happened unless we deserve them. Um, so that's loaded language right there. Um, and it's also another type of, uh, language that we find in cultish language that we'll talk about in a moment, but, um, it's loaded language because in that sense, you know, he's using a common term and he's changing the way that it is understood to incite, um, a sense of fear and a limiting thought, um, so th that is loaded language and um, definitely we see it in Heaven's Gate as well. Um, so when a student joins Heaven's Gate, they become a student of the kingdom of heaven or recipient of the gift of recognition um, or a member of the level above human. And they said that mainstream Christians were part of the Luciferian program and um, that they believed in a counterfeit God and that those people had succumbed to lower forces. And they called death or suicide exiting your vehicle or graduation, a completion of the changeover, overcoming containers to inherit uh, next level bodies. So these are these are um, these last few examples are examples of euphemisms. Um trying to change the way we see death or suicide in a trying to make it a more positive light, to be quite honest. So 
Um, if you know anything about Heaven's Gate, it was started by T and Doe. Um, uh, their real name, at least the man, the male, uh, the male founder was uh, Marshall Applewhite. And um, he used a lot of like metaphysical sci-fi uh, type language to uh, convince everybody that they should commune in a mansion together. And then at the end, he too um, forced everyone into, or coerced, I should say, in his case, coerced everybody into mass suicides. So um, both of these entities use language to do so um in scientology they talk about hidden crimes uh they excuse me they call hidden crimes they call criticism of the organization hidden crimes um a bad influence like a journalist or skeptical family member would be a sp or suppressive person um uh, anyone associating with an sp would be a pts or potential trouble source um, Ron Hubbard's belief system is tech, which he says is flawless. And if you're in the church and unhappy, then you clearly did something to pull it in. Um, again, this is another type of, uh, it's also another type of language used in cultish vernacular. Um, and they say, if you're having problems with others, you should disconnect or handle them. Disconnect meaning, you know, don't interact with them anymore. Handle means convince them to agree with the doctrine or to get, you should get them on the bridge, which is to convert them from, convert them to Scientology via the bridge to total freedom. Um, additionally, we, we see uh, that in Scientology and just like in a lot of other cults, they actually create an entire vocabulary and um, you have to relearn how to read in their new vocabulary and so they put you through like these grueling sessions where you have to show you have to demonstrate that you understand their meaning of words in these documents you're reading and if you don't then you have to like go to their little dictionary and they keep drilling you and drilling you until you probably just cave in and you're like I get it that's part of the um, way that language is used to really manipulate your emotions. And yes, so that's loaded language. We also have um, thought terminating cliches or semantic stops. Now, this is a term that was coined in 1961 by the psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton. Um, and it refers to phrases aimed at halting an argument from moving forward by discouraging critical thought. Um, they are used to dis dismiss any dissent. And um, he says that with these phrases, the most far they're the most far-reaching and complex of the human problem because they're compressed into brief, highly selective, definitive-sounding phrases easily memorized as an, e as an easily easily memorized and easily expressed um they become the start and finish of any ideological analysis so example as we mentioned before saying someone's brainwashed or saying somebody is in a cult um that kind of terminates any discussion because the person's stuck on that belief so the, there's no way you can convince them 
that it's not a cult. Um, well, there's it's it's very difficult unless that person is a little open-minded, which they probably wouldn't call your call. They wouldn't be using the word cult in that manner anyway. So, like I said, they, it's usually like it's a label that's used as a pejorative, and once they use that, then all opportunity for discussion is now ceased. Um, other examples, it is what it is. Everything happens for a reason. Boys will be boys. It's all God's plan. Don't think too hard. Everything happens for a reason. Um, truth is a construct. None of this matters on a cosmic level. I hold space for multiple realities. Don't let yourself be ruled by fear, calling anxieties and doubts, limiting thoughts. Um, that's a little bit more on like your, your, like Instagram influencer level. They tend to use those kind of languages to, um, you know, indicate that if whatever they're selling you isn't working, then it's because you're not doing something right. You know, you're lim you're you having limiting thoughts. Um, your fear is blocking your growth and things like that. Um, I just want to say these kind of ideas where it becomes a problem is like when people are, are using this language to exploit others because a lot of times like the Instagrammers, they'll have these programs and these packages and they'll be like, you have to pay this much in order to get the true healing and blessing that only I have. Um, so, you know, that that's why it's really important to be able to recognize the language and how it's being used and um, what the user's aims are. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, when I said that, when I said that accidents, um, according to the people search, accidents are things that never happen unless we deserve them. I mentioned that was loaded language. That's also thought term, thought terminating language. So, you know, um, whatever happens to you, you know, you were supposed to have that happen to you. It's, it's Jim Jones's messaging there. Okay. And now we also have love bombing and love bombing is the showering, showering of uh, seemingly personalized attention and analysis with inspirational buzz, buzzwords uh, calling for vulnerability. It's lang language that may sound like a red flag for some, but it resonates with others and it causes people to have a transformative experience and they're filled with the sense that the group is the answer and that's part of what helps lead to conversion um, so that's how most cults start off they they love bomb you so even when you think about these uh, multi-level marketing platforms um, and they they specifically target women um, uh, one example is boss babe and they target women using very feminist pro-women rhetoric you know boss you know everybody know when you talk about a woman being a boss that's part of um, our current wave of feminism so they they take advantage of that and um, in the beginning you know they're like boss babe you're so special you are um, so great. This is just a unique opportunity for you. Let me stop for a second.
So here's an example of um, messaging from Boss Babe. Uh, it says, hey girl, I love your posts. You have such a fun energy. Have you ever thought about turning that energy into a side hustle? Let me ask you a question. If there were a business where you could work part-time from home, but make a full-time living, would you be interested? Would that interest you at all? Because that's what I've been up to. Some people are super close-minded to stuff like this, which limits their opportunities. Um, note, that is um, targeting people. When, the, when I said that phrase, some people are super closed off to stuff like this, which limits their opportunities. That's targeting people using what they call us versus them, which I'll talk about in a moment, um, but I'll continue. But you seem open to new things, which is exactly what it takes to be successful. So in that, in this part that I just read, you seem open to new things, which is exactly what it takes to be successful. Um, they are targeting optimism. And that's one thing that uh, I read that they that the cult leaders look for. They look for optimism. They look for they actually look for pretty intelligent people who are optimistic, idealistic, seeking answers to uh, all the problems that we face in society. Um, it's also love bombing though, because you know there's trying to make it seem like you are just a natural boss you're open to new things which makes you which will make you successful I'll continue would you be down to hear more I could call you sometime this week it's way too much to type out here's my number what's yours I look forward to hearing back boss babe XO 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 alright um, so love bombing even in the multi marketing arena um, is a way to initially capture followers um, and you know it's a way to coerce them into being a part of your uh, organization or your group all right so another part of um, cultish language is us versus them language and that's where you make anyone outside of the group seem as an inferior so as I said with the people search outside forces um, and with Scientology they talked about suppressive people and the potential trouble source um, so you you kind of see this in religions too um, I mean you know you have your believers in Christianity and then you know they would call people who were living outside of God's word heathens um, and you know we just read it in the MLM in the, in the MLM for boss babe um, so all of these types of cultish linguistic techniques we really see in various parts of society so rather than calling something a cult Amanda Montel is advocating that we call things cultish um, I think the most fascinating part about this for me is um, the creation of vocabulary. I think because I really love words and their origins, um, I think it's actually fascinating that people create these vocabularies and um, people learn them to the extent where 
you wouldn't even be able to understand the conversations that they're having. Um, and uh, some people who were part of cults who had really deep relationships, they were centered around this language, having this language because it was, it served for that us versus them mentality that the cult leaders wanted to foster. But once they left the cult, they found that um, they were still, they, they may not talk that way, but the language still resonated in the way that it did for them in the cult, um, even years after, and some of the messaging as well. So being afraid that one woman said that she was afraid to leave the cult. Once she left the cult, she was afraid to walk across the street because she thought since she left the cult, she would um, be punished by God. And so uh, that, that was just messaging that she received that years and years and years later, she um, still continued to believe. Um, some additional examples, because like I said, just the language part itself is really fascinating to me. Additional examples would be uh, Teal Swan and Macero, who are both Instagram influencers. And they have a really uh, twisted way of viewing suicide and uh, so they use loaded language and euphemisms for suicide where uh, Teal Swan says that it's like um, a restart, which is crazy. And um, Masaro says, don't fear death, be excited about it. Um, another thing that Masaro does uh, is that he uses semantic stop signs. That's that thought terminating cliche, uh, th those thought terminating cliches um, when he curses and derides his followers and the followers are like oh hold up slim like you're about to be talking to me that way and he'd be like thinking about something is the surest way oh i'm sorry i misread that he says if you weren't so high up on your own ass about this fucking concept of respect you would actually see how much love there is behind me saying what i say um so he's pretty much like you know shut up i'm still gonna cuss at you and um the fact that you are offended by this shows like you're in this lower state. Um, so that ends the conversation there. Um, another Instagram, another Instagram influencer is Joe Dispenza and he is affiliated with like the wellness holistic alternative wellness community. Um, but the thing about him is that he promotes himself as a neuroscientist um, but when you look at his credentials, like he, I, I believe he went to Rutgers to study neuroscience, um, or he went to Rutgers and took some classes, but he did not finish. Um, but he does have a degree in chiropractic, uh, as a, he has a degree and, um, study the practice of chiropractoring. Ooh, I don't know if that's the word, but, um, in any event, you know, that is, that doesn't necessarily qualify him to use these neurosci neuroscientific jargon the way he does, which um, scientists, when they listen to it, they're like, that's actually inaccurate. And he tries to couple them with these metaphysical concepts. Um, and of course, this is really tied to financial um, exploitation. Um, but then she talks about that is the American way, that is capitalism. Um, and so a lot of the roots of these cultish practices go back to um, like anything from our Protestant days um, where 
our Protestant days to, uh, like I said, the capitalistic way of, um, you know, making money. It's all about making money. So that's the bottom line. And if you have to exploit people to do so, then, um, that's what you have to do. So another thing I want to mention, um, of course, this just goes in alignment with etymology rules, um, is how did the word cult come about and change over time? Um, so as I said, it's used subjectively. Uh, you know, what made me think about this, actually, this whole concept is that uh, I have a friend who called another friend of mine's church denomination a cult. And she said it was a cult because the women have to wear dresses and skirts. So I'm like, I don't know if that qualifies it. But, you know, that's just her applying this label based on her own thoughts. There's no, like, definitive this is a cult definition, um, as we talked about before. So um, cults initially were just used to uh, classify different religious sects. Um, and we first heard it in the early 19th century. And this was, we, it, it referred to something that was new and, unor- and unorthodox, but not anything that was nefarious. And this was a time during which there was a lot of experimental religion. There were a lot of experimental religious groups in the U.S. Because think about it. Um, the U.S. was formed upon the freedom of, upon freedom of religion. So they had a reputation for being um, a safe space for different eccentric belief systems. Um there were hundreds of different small ideological cliques that formed and fell. Um, here are some examples that I read in uh, Cultish. The Oneida community, which was a polyamorous community, or it was a series of polyamorous communities in upstate New York. The Harmony Society, which was an, egal- which was a, an egalitarian group of science lovers in Indiana. The Fruitlands, which is a vegan farming cult in Massachusetts, and it was actually farmed by Louisa May Alcott's father, Amos Bronson Alcott. Um, but during the religious period that was called the Fourth Great Awakening, um, the term cult took on a darker meaning. It got a darker reputation when because old school conservatives and Christians were scared of all the nonconformist groups. So they considered all those groups charlatans and quacks. So cult took on that connotation. Um, and, but at that point it was not really seen as like a criminal threat until 1969 and 1978, 1969 is when you had the Manson family murders and 1978 is when you had the Jonestown massacre. And so then cult took on a symbol of fear which led to the 80s where you had the satan- satanic panic. Um, and that's where you had the paran- you had paranoia that Satan-worshipping child abusers were living throughout American neighborhoods. But you also start to see in the 70s the term cult classic, which refers to an indie underground movie. An example would be the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, and then they would say that bands like the Grateful Dead and Fish had cult followings. And then there became this obsession with cults as like some kind of perverse nostalgia. And so today, um, where you see cult, hear cult in the mainstream, number one, I've been reading and seeing a lot of things about cults. Like the New Yorker had an article about Nexium, which is a cult started by Keith Rainier. Um, 
It was supposed to be a self-help based cult and um, they promoted themselves as a multi-level marketing company, but, and they offered um, different seminars like the executive success program. That's that usage of language once again. Um, but they had this inner group um, called DOS, which stood for um, a Latin term and uh, it's DOS of Sepuium Sistrum. And that is like the inner group, sorry, is Dominus Obsequious Sororium, pardon me. Dominus Obsequious Sororium. Um, That's Latin for master over female slave. And that's um, promoted, it was promoted as a female empowerment group. He was considered the vanguard. That's what they all had to call him. They had to bow to his picture because he claimed he had the highest IQ. Um, and he branded and blindfolded his followers, uh, told them to take off their clothes. They would lie on a massage table. And then they would say, Master, please brand me. It would be an honor. And then they brand um, they would brand the women. And they told he told the women that this was a symbol of the elements, but it was really his initials, KR. Um, so like, and I think that was 2018. So there's been like this uptick of just information about cults out there, uh, a couple of documentaries and things of that nature. But um, today we even hear the term, like I said, cult fitness, where many fitness guru, gurus and companies embrace it. They embrace that term cult because again, you know, it's just very subjective. So in that sense, its usage is kind of like kitschy. Um, whereas in other senses, it is damning. Um, my final thoughts on cults, uh, and the use of the word cults, I think, you know, in doing this research, so my biggest question off break was what is a cult? How do you define something as a cult? You know, Christianity was once considered a cult, um, by the Roman empire. Um, there are a lot of, and, and, and it's understandable why people would not believe in, um, major religions. Like particularly in this day and age, you see a lot of people turning to alternative or new religions, um, because they don't trust, they don't trust major religions. Um, and you know, it's understandable why it's been a lot of corruption. Um, a lot of forcing of ideas that don't uh, fit with people's sense of self and also you know, damning people for their lifestyles. Um, so people are naturally communal. They're always trying to find a home. And so these groups, these cultish groups can take the place of that. I think it's when it becomes dangerous when in, in understanding how the language works and, um, understanding that the language of cults should not be all the time. There's this thing called ritual time. So it's when you're using the language and then once you end your engagement with that group, you do not use that language anymore. You can separate reality from, um, this group. And so you see that actually with the cult fitnesses, there's one called Intersanti and it was founded by this woman, um, her name is Patricia Moreno, 
and she created as a response to the rhetoric of fitness classes in the 90s. So in the 90s, they used terminologies like working off the sins of the food that you consume, um, trying to sculpt your body to conform to norm a normative standard of a bikini body. So she wanted to dismantle that narrative. Um, so she calls different moves by metaphorical names. Instead of punch, squat, and lunge, she says strong, gratitude, and commitment. Those are the names of the movements. But once that practice is done, the language is no longer used. The ritual is over. So being able to um, identify when and to use the language and when not to, not being so consumed um, is very important. Uh, even in like a lot of religious and Wiccan, like an example would be a Wiccan practice or um, uh, for my interests, you know, a lot of like hoodoo, uh, African spirituality, they, uh, they do activities to start the ritual and then there's an activity to bring it to the end. So you're not always existing in that specific space. So I think that's my major takeaway um, about cults. Like I said, I dove into this because I wanted to see what a cult is and I came away understanding it's more about cult language and being aware and, you know, um, understanding how the language is used and then you getting to have a say and decide your engagement with it. Um, you making the decisions because you're aware. So, um, you know, I appreciate you guys for sticking with Etymology Rules. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And, you know, please reach out with any questions, any topic ideas, and uh, visit our website for uh, pre-sales of Etymology Rules Back to Basics. All right, everyone. Have a great one. Peace.